At St. Benedict's table, we gather for worship on Sunday evenings. Last night was no different, but in many ways, it was. After our Eucharist was finished, we closed the doors. For what might be a long time, part of the extraordinary efforts to contain the COVID-19 virus. Before he preached the gospel last night, our rector, Jamie Howison, explained that to withdraw at times like this is, in fact, the best way to make a stand. And then he led us in a timely and powerful examination of a passage from the fourth chapter of John. For a time like this, these are words we need to hear. Find out more about St. Benedict's Table and the special materials we are making in the show notes. Had you said to me last Sunday that we would be looking at suspending all liturgies and group gatherings of the church throughout this diocese starting tomorrow, I would have shaken my head. No, no, that, that's not going to happen. And then in the middle of the week, Bishop Jeff sent his first directive saying that we should exchange the peace, but with a touch of the heart or a nod of the head. We should have communion, but bread only. We will have a chalice of wine on the table symbolically to remind us, but we will share only the bread. And to encourage people to smile and nod and say hello rather than to shake hands or embrace it, it seemed like measures easily implemented and so that got sent out middle of the week and then within two days after much consultation uh, Bishop Jeff sent out a directive that we as a diocese needed to just stop gathering for now Uh, it's hard to contemplate and yet it's not climbing into self-protective little bubbles out of fear. It's actually an exercise of really responsible citizenship. I was thinking as I drove past one of those billboards that encourages people to get the flu vaccine, and it pictures a, a very elderly man, and it says, get vaccinated, it's for him too. The idea that things like vaccines actually are for the greater good, not just to protect me. I began to think of social isolation, which is a terrible phrase, as something closer to social inoculation, maybe. It's to protect each other and our communities. But still, we do need to seek ways in which we can connect. We do need to still have a sense of being together, and so We have a really well-developed web presence. And this year, we've really upped our our game in the world of podcasting. And both of those things are really coming to the fore. There are some links on the song sheet. I'd encourage you to take that home and look into those. In addition, starting tomorrow at 5 o'clock, Rachel is going to be leading daily 5 p.m. evening prayer on our Facebook page. And there's a little information there and on the website as to how you might join that. Those are interesting ways of making connection. But also a reminder to make sure to be mindful of those folks who might get easily isolated. 
because they are maybe immune compromised or just struggling with health generally or really feeling age or maybe just feeling fearful. So use all that modern technology. Care for one another. Reach out. Reach out to Rachel and I to let us know if you're not doing well or if somebody you know isn't doing well. It's important. And again, be grateful, all of us be grateful. Give thanks to God for the work that will continue in our healthcare system. I know a number of people here, and I see some faces right now who work in that system, whether as physicians or nurses or cleaners or social workers or spiritual care providers, or, 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 who day after day will go into their workplace and care for those who are ill Hold them in your prayers. This is not about me. It's about us. Because we are primarily called to be a people for others. As John Donne, the great English poet, famously wrote, No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We are in this together ever and always as humans and as Christians. So, to tonight's gospel. This is a story marked by some very notable details. Jesus and his disciples are on the road nearing a Samaritan city. The disciples have gone into the city to buy food. Jacob's well was there, John tells us. Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Pause. It was about noon, the sun at its highest point for the day. And here is this woman coming to draw water. This is not the time of the day to get water. It's too hot. You go early in the morning, or you go at the end of the day when the heat of the sun is off. But maybe this woman doesn't want to go to the well at the same time as the other women. She has lived a complicated domestic life, we will soon be told, having had five husbands and now living with a sixth man to whom she's not married. It is a life not likely to curry the favor of your neighbors perhaps some of whom had lost a husband to you somewhere along the way. So she's there alone. She arrives, sees Jesus, and he asks her for a drink of water, to which she responds, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? He's transgressing social boundaries, you see. First, a man speaking to a woman in a public place. Secondly, in speaking to a Samaritan as a Jew, that's a boundary crossed. And third, 
in asking her for water in what would have been a ritually unclean vessel for a Jew. As is so often the case in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't seem particularly troubled by such conventions. Again and again, we see him relating to people who have been deemed the other, the unclean, the outsider by their cultural world. So having crossed those boundaries, off they go. This woman whom Reynolds Price characterizes as a likably feisty reprobate engaged with Jesus in a back-and-forth conversation in which he plays with the imagery of water, living water, speaks to her of worshiping God in spirit and in truth and looks deep into her hidden self and tells her he knows about that string of failed marriages. He knows her. Now that knowing of her is characteristic of John's portrayal of Jesus. It first appears when he calls Nathanael to be his disciple. Nathanael, who immediately snarls, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then is quickly turned around when he realizes that Jesus could really see him. The same theme is there in the reading we had last week about Nicodemus the Pharisee, the one who comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness and attempts to to kind of politely engage him in a conversation, opens up by saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Of such niceties, Jesus will have no part. For he can see what Nicodemus is most in need of, namely to be born again or born from above, to have a whole new beginning in God through the power of the Spirit. Nicodemus, I'm not interested in the niceties. Let's cut to what really matters. I see you. It will happen again in different discussions with various people in this gospel, even in the very courts of Pontius Pilate, after the high priests have called for Jesus' execution. So why? Why is this such a dominant motif in the gospel according to John? Each of the four gospel writers filters his account through his own memory or through the memories of those eyewitnesses from whom the story was first received. Each gospel writer is telling what they know to be most important, most true about Jesus, which is why it's so good to have four different voices to which to attend. John's account is the last of them to be written, Almost 60 years after Jesus' ministry, at least in its final form, sometime around the year 90, John then writes as an old man, an elder, and he writes with a long view of what Jesus has meant to him over those years. He pulls on the threads that have spoken to him, shaped him, formed him, burned into his own memory and awareness. And one of those threads is very clearly that Jesus sees and knows us. John's long walk as a disciple 
with Jesus in his earthly ministry and then following Jesus for those 60 years in the resurrection light. That long walk has taught John the very thing that we so often pray in our liturgy. To you all hearts are opened, Lord. All desires known and from you, no secrets are hidden. To know that is the beginning of freedom. For John, particularly, also the end of all shame. To again pick up on that teaching from Abba John the Little, the Desert Father, that I, I shared two Sundays ago, John, the Gospel writer, knows that once seen by Jesus, one needs always to pick up the light burden that is truthful self-criticism, and deep inner honesty, rather than trying to cling to the much heavier burden of self-justification. Leave that aside. Tell the truth. Tell the truth about the shape of your life. Tell it to your very heart and tell it to Jesus. That's the path of life. As the Samaritan woman in this story discovered, if we take seriously the contours of this gospel story, we also need to see that such truth-telling is not then met with an Olympian list of moral requirements and legalistic directives. No, it's not. Again, from Reynolds Price, the novelist and essayist and Bible translator, what wins the Samaritan woman's sudden, unwarranted belief that Jesus is Messiah is his uncanny knowledge of her past. But when she calls her townsmen and they prevail upon Jesus to stay for two days and explain himself further, an explanation we do not hear, they also accept his words. And with no further sign, these Samaritans, so long shunned by Orthodox Jews, come to believe Jesus' one demand. We trust, since we've heard for ourselves that this man is truly the Savior of the world. We trust. We tell our truth. We lay down the heavy burden of self-justification. We take up the light burden of being honest with ourselves, and we trust. In difficult days, like the ones ahead, there may be nothing more crucial than that. Take care of one another. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.